Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Honey. Hi, I'm Honey Compulsive Overeater. Hi, Honey. Can you see me? I'm a little short. First, I want to say thank you to Tisa for asking me and giving me the honor to be able to speak today. I'm a grateful compulsive overeater, and I'll just start off with the qualifications so you can get to know me a little bit. Um, I've been in OA for 10 years. I have been abstinent by the grace of God for eight years, and I turned eight years about two days on the 21st. Wait, on the 19th, so I guess that's a few days ago. And I'm incredibly grateful for that prize. Um, and when I was listening, I was looking around the room, and I was listening to the how it works, and um, what comes to mind is what my sponsors always sort of spoken to me about is the idea that this is kind of magic a little bit. Half of it's magic, and then the other half of it is hard, hard work. So it, there's half of the questions that, let's say, sponsors ask me, I don't have the exact answer for because part of it is I just don't know how it works. But my sponsors instilled in me that if I continue to do it, that it does work if I put in the hard work. So before I sort of get off tangent, I'll go into what it was like, um, what happened, and what it's like now. Before I do that, I'm going to move this down a little because I'm like talking on my tip again. <laughs> what it was like was, uh, I'm sure most of you have a similar experience. I know we all come from different walks of life, um, different jobs, different careers, different forms of the addiction of compulsive overeating, anorexia, bulimia, 100-pounders. All the differences sort of glue us all together. That's been my experience. Is the experience of compulsion, of like not being able to stop doing whatever behavior that we have that we do with food. And what it was like for me was a lot of pain, a lot of anxiety, an incredible amount of fear, worry. Um, when it says, you know, in the 12 and 12, when it starts to describe unmanageability, and some of us are tricked that we think that we've got other stuff under control, but the food not under control, like we carry jobs and things like that. I was one of those people. I had lots of jobs. I had lots of friends. I was a volume eater. I could not stop eating huge amounts of food. Um, I know I look like a tiny person, and at the time when I came in the rooms, I was about 40 pounds heavier. But I want to sort of describe what it was like at the time when I came in. Um, I couldn't stop eating so much to the point that what I looked like wasn't even an issue. When I rolled into the rooms of OA, it wasn't like, well, I really need to fit into a certain size. At that point, there was so much devastation around, I cannot stop binging. Um, I was a volume eater, like I said, so I would eat massive quantities of food, wait till I could breathe again, start it up again. I would just, and I would be in this cycle. I wasn't bulimic in the sense that I wasn't forcing myself to throw up. I tried doing that, but, I, it, you know, I'd always been a nauseated kid, so it was like this relationship that didn't work for me. But I was, you know, I dabbled heavily in exercise bulimia, and I can get into that a little bit. But for me, my favorite thing to do was to eat. And it still is there, the experience of um, being a compulsive over ear. And I don't think it'll ever go away. And I'll get into that later. But 
what it was like was me eating. And my sponsor, when I got clean with food, she used to say, um, I've had a few sponsors, by the way, over my time in LA, all magical and gave me incredible gifts. But the sponsor that I was with when I was getting out to me used to say, our natural state is a bucket of ice cream and a bed. You know, that, and for me that resonated. It really did. That was my natural, you know, born state was just the quiet and the comfort of nobody around a big bed so that I could sleep it off and then just a never at bottomless bucket of, you know, whatever kind of food. And I can go into like a few details of college life and all that kind of stuff. I was, you know, which I loved to talk about earlier in my earlier years, how I was really like an alcoholic with food. For some reason when I first came in I needed for some reason to prove how food is just like alcohol. Um, for now, I don't really need to make the comparison. I know I have a severe addiction, and I don't really need to prove it. But back then in college, I used to, my friends used to have to put me out with a napkin over my forehead and a bucket next to me, and we would call it getting drunk on food. We really knew that we had this compulsion, but at the time it was like we were in so much denial that we sort of denied that we were even doing what we were doing. And then it stopped being so funny. Other people started growing up, and they stopped eating, and I kept eating. By the time that it, it, I hit, you know, my bottom enough to get into OA, it was very dark, which I'm sure some people have experienced in these rooms. Some people have higher bottoms. Mine was, it was very, very dark. I was very, very sad. Um, I really wanted to understand why I couldn't stop doing this thing. It seemed like other people could figure out how to stop eating and eat normally. And a therapist at the time, I don't know if that's an outside issue, but I was, uh, my parents had sent me to somebody to seek help, and they said, you should go to OA. And to me, that was like, you know, a horrifying idea. And I didn't understand why the person that I was going to see couldn't help me out. It got so dark that I was somehow by myself at Serenity Sunday. And when I got to Serenity Sunday, it wasn't like I was dancing and like, you know, ecstatically happy. You know, some people talk about their feeling of like their home. For me, I had the feeling like this was my destiny. I was not happy about it at the start. I didn't feel like I'm, I'm happy and like I'm safe. I sort of felt like I'm where I'm supposed to be right now. But I knew, I had the sense that there's, it was not going to be easy. And for me, I did, I did not come to like most people, some people get abstinent right away and that was really not my experience. For me, and that's why I sort of keep it in the what it was like category, because I was in the rooms for about two years still trying to get clean with food. So I want to talk about what it was like in OA struggling. I don't know if um, that's discussed sometimes, I'm not really sure, but for me it was a very, very, very difficult thing to be in the rooms and going to about three meetings a day and doing the work that I was supposed to be doing and still struggling. So I had an experience, abstinence, like people that were coming in after me were experiencing this incredible joy and like this immediate weight loss and this sense of peace of mind and I was sort of felt like I was following the rules but I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't feeling better. Like I said, I was two years in and I was going to these Santa Monica meetings which are incredible and I was, um, I had a sponsor. And I was still binging, like, every single day. And not just once a day, kind of the way I described it. I was binging all the time. And um, every single morning I woke up and I wanted, I wanted to sort of figure out that day how I could prepare myself to not binge. Or, and I want to sort of highlight that moment in my life because for me that's my entire disease. It's trying or figuring out or managing or understanding this disease for me is the, it's, that is when the disease is one. And I don't know how, if that makes sense. For me, that resonates in an incredible way. For me, and I work with my sponsors strongly on this point, 
There is no dealing with this disease for me. I can't even go into the battle. If I go into the battle, I've lost the whole thing. So if I wake up in the morning and I think, how am I going to make sure I'm absent today? I've already lost. Um, I'm already on the wrong side of the street. And that's not the end of the world. It's just a barometer. I know that I'm already, I'm not working the solution that day. Any of those kinds of thoughts are a huge part of my abstinence. So um, I, I don't know about the time, how this works, but I want to move in more to like the, the what happened right now. So as I said, I was eating and eating and eating and eating and eating and eating and eating, and I couldn't stop. And what happened was that uh, the sponsor that I was working at, working with, explained to me, she asked me a question. She was like, wait a second, wait a second. Do you think you're getting yourself abstinent? And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, do you think you're the one that's going to get abstinent? And it was, for me, this dawning moment of like, because she was like, that's completely impossible. So if you're going to attempt to do that, it's never going to happen. You cannot get you abstinent. Abstinence, which was explained to me, is something that's given. And so the difference between the two were really, were very, very, it was a great moment for me in my program and my recovery. And when I understood that, I stopped trying. I did not do the work anymore. I just stopped trying to get abstinent. So that streams into every other area of my life. So if I was feeling unhappy or feeling anxiety-ridden, I stopped trying to un-anxiety, you know, get out of anxiety, get out of the problem myself, which was how I learned how to live my entire life. It's like, how do I get absent? How do I get what you guys have? How do I get what I want? How do I get the dream? How do I get the money? How do I get the man? How do I get the... That, 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 that. And my sponsor um, works with me constantly about getting rid of the getting you know, not trying anymore, not trying to figure this thing out, because I can't, and it all comes down to step one, because I'm completely powerless. So when I'm working with Swansees, or I see somebody that's devastatingly, like, they're struggling, and they're just having such a hard time, my heart goes out to them, because I know that regardless of whatever knowledge they have, they seem to still want to try and get something. And um, it's a futile attempt. It's just, it's never ending. And my sponsor, I know I'm referring a lot to my sponsor, and I'll just say that sponsors are the, the greatest gift that this program has given me is, you know, the different sponsors that I have the, the opportunity to work with. And the sponsor that I'm working with now is constantly talking about enoughism. It's never enough. And it's, as long as it's not enough, you're always going to be in that place of sort of anxiety, misery, and despair. Um, so now I'm going to talk about when the shift happened of abstinence, um, it just ballooned. Basically, my recovery started the day that I decided to give up trying to get. And when I stopped giving up and trying to get, my abstinent moment did not look like clouds parting in the sky. By the way, I was waiting for that moment. I was waiting for, like, the clouds parting, and then I will never have to feel sad again around food. My experience is that that's, I, nobody can promise that. For me, it was very, very quiet. It was like I gave up. And that was like sort of the body language of it, too. I was sitting on the couch. I had gone to Santa Monica after a binge. I heard another speaker talk. It wasn't really that speaker necessarily. It wasn't that night. It wasn't, you know, I can't even say the specific thing that made it happen, but it was just like, I give up. I was just like, my whole body was just like, I'm tired. I'm really, really just tired. And I'm tired of beating myself up, and I'm tired of criticizing, and I'm tired of binging. I'm just really sick of this whole thing. And for some reason, I didn't the next day say, okay, I'm counting day one, which for me was a trick. There's another one of my little tricks. It was like day one, you know, day, for me. Some people counting works great. But at the time, I was, you know, that was a struggle for me. And then the next morning I woke up and I didn't do anything. I didn't try to get abstinent. 
I just continued the day, and I spoke to my sponsor like I was doing the day before, and then I went to a meeting. And days like that just kept coupling together, and then they grew into eight some odd years. And I guess I'll talk about what my abstinence is. My abstinence is no matter what, I do not diet, no matter what. Now, I'll explain that a little bit, and I will leave some room for questions because sometimes that makes no sense to some people, but it's, I don't engage in any kind of bulimic, controlling, maintaining, figuring it out, trying to get activity whatsoever. That's my abstinence. So the moment I'm in there, that's why I know I'm in a real danger zone. I'm about to start dying. I'm about to start making my body small again. I'm about to start thinking I can control this thing. And I know in my heart that this thing is way bigger than me. And like I said, I was a volume eater. I was not an, I was a pathetic anorexic. Pathetic. I spent six months maybe trying to eat turkey packets and ketchup. And that was the best I could do at anorexia. I was an eater. I still am an eater. I love, love, love huge amounts of food. So I don't go near the idea that if I eat a big meal or a little bit bigger meal today, that like my next meal I can make smaller so that I can make up for that meal before. I don't the next day decide I'm going to, now I'm going to really get this thing going after I have a, a larger meal. If I'm feeling full, that's like code red for me. That means, and I'll just tell you my little tricks. This is what, you know, this is what happened. This is what got me abstinent. If I have a full meal, not a compulsive like binge, if I have a full meal, for me as an addict, it's code red. Because I, I am aware that my brain now starts telling me I'm fat. Um, I might have just gained 20 pounds, which is the most ridiculous, absurd idea. I have to fix something now, and um, everything's not okay. So I, I need to understand, after those moments, that I'm bona fide. I actually like, look at myself like I'm a, like a little bit of a crazy person, and I wait, and I have to sit, and I have to wait. So when I have a full meal and I feel full, I sit and I wait. And I've learned my patience. Because, like I said, my abstinence... It's not like a specific food. I know it works really, really well. For some people to have very specific foods, alcoholic foods, I really believe in that. If people struggle with a very specific item or they need a food plan, it's just an incredible life-saving thing to do, and it really helps you guide your abstinence. But for me, the tools are the tools, and then abstinence is abstinence. So food plan is a tool, and then my abstinence is my abstinence because I don't want to set myself up. And I guess I'm talking about all these things because these are the things that these are what happened. These are all the little details of my experience that got me where I am now. I'm trying to think of other things that shifted in my perspective. Really, I guess, you know, what I started talking about, which is it's that there's a magical element. So if somebody had said to me at the time, how do I put this? If somebody had said to me, do it this, 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 and this way, and, and like, you know, diet with this food plan, then then the moment I went off that food plan, I would have sort of, blown it up again and I would have failed at something else. So I needed to go straight to the core of like what my compulsive overeating was coming from and it was it was dieting. Um, so I'll just give a little example. If I have again, like if I have a full meal, I don't I don't walk the next day. This is just my story. It's very personal. It's my personal story. If I have a full meal, I don't go to the gym the next day. I don't do any extraneous exercise. Because my brain is so tricky. And I find that this addiction is so intelligent and it's just so smart and it just knows how to get me it knows how to get me start going with trying to get um, with trying to maintain and I want to talk about something I lost 40 pounds over the past 8 years not I like 40 pounds shed it off of me I have no idea when it went away 
I have to tell you, at the point of getting abstinent and receiving this incredible gift, I had no, um, I, I was so lost and like so desperate that I wasn't trying to lose weight at that point. I just wanted to stop eating. Like at that point, just the, the experience of not binging anymore was plenty. I didn't care how big I was at that point. I didn't care about what my life looked like. It was just the fact that I didn't wake up and want to binge and I didn't go to sleep binging was enormous. So when somebody asks me, you know, over the years, people are like, well, how did you lose all that weight? And I'll be like, I have no idea. And to be honest, I really don't even care. Like, and that experience has still stayed with me. The, the, you know, my sponsor saying to me back in the day saying, do you think you're, you're getting yourself abstinent? It applies to, do I think I'm maintaining my abstinence? And, and I, I don't. I'm not maintaining my abstinence. The moment I think I'm maintaining my abstinence, you'll probably see me wanting to eat within like four hours. The moment I think that I, I hope I can fit into blank outfit tomorrow morning, I'll probably not fit into it and have like, you know, gone up a pound. That's how my addiction works. I'll give you like a little story. There was this huge wedding in my family that was happening and there was, you know, and my family put a lot of, you know, time and effort into it and there was this gown that they had made for me. I was one of the people in the wedding. I was one of the honored, you know, guests at the wedding. And um, this was like four or five years into my recovery. I guess we showed up to the seamstress the day before the flight, the day before the dress was going to get sent out, and she was like, you know, they were trying to zip it up. And I guess that day, it didn't zip. And the, the, all the ladies were standing around me, and they were trying to zip this up, and they were like, you're going to have to, you're going to have to lose weight, you're going to have to lose, you have to be like, not eat tonight. And I'm like, okay, everybody relax, take the dress off, we're done here. Like, take the dress off. I don't try and force, like, situations anymore around food, body, none of it to the best of my ability, one day at a time. I said, take the dress off, and we're going to put it back in the box. <laughs> and regardless if I can't wear the dress and I go to the wedding and I just wear something else from my closet, that might have been what would have had to happen. And it might have been disappointing for other people, but I don't sacrifice my abstinence, my recovery for anything. And it's the most important thing in my life. And everything else comes after it. And I'll find in my recovery there are like, you know, moments of lows and highs. Nothing's ever, ever, ever perfect. My food's not perfect. My body's not perfect. My personality's not perfect. My recovery's not perfect. Nothing. And I find that when things are feeling stressful again, difficult, confusing, the word confusing is a great barometer for um, your recovery's a little wonky. If you're confused about things, um, you need to make decisions, you know, have to figure stuff out. That's when I always know I'm, my, my God is probably number 15 on my list, and money and blank and blah, blah, blah is probably up there in the ones and the twos and the threes. That's when I, whenever I'm confused and I have to make decisions, I know that right away. And um, my experience has always been, since the very start, is that meetings are like me- literally like insta-medicine. It's like if, you, if, if you're finding, if, I'll speak from my own experience, if I'm finding that I'm confused, I want to eat, I, I, I'm, I'm heading into a little bit of a red zone around any area of my life, at the moment I start going to meetings, and I have no idea why this works, but the moment I really start going to meetings, not one meeting every, you know, I mean like meetings, the way it works, which is a general consistent meeting attendance, and I start becoming of service, and I start making away the primary focus of my entire life. 
I have no idea how this works. Every single area starts getting checked off the list. I thought, it's fine. Like, if somebody's like, how's your money? It's fine. How's your sense of, like, you know, happiness? Great. How's your love life? Amazing. Like, every single thing just starts, like, and then they're like, but wait, wasn't it just, like, horrible? Like, two days ago? I'm like, I know. And then it's like, and, and I didn't, and they're like, well, what did you do? Nothing. I went to meetings. And that's been my, I'm not even trying to be dramatic. That's actually been my experience, is that the moment, thank you so much. Um, it's instant medicine. And um, the funniest part is why anybody wouldn't just go to meetings. I don't know. But I think there's something about making something very simple, like your spirituality, the most important thing. And I think that's what OA, it's like a, it's a big trick. Like I was saying in the beginning, my experience is kind of magic. It's like, don't look over here. Can you just, just like look like right here and keep it really, really simple? Because you know why you make everything complicated. That's how I feel like my God talks to me. Just do this. And just keep doing this, and I'll take care of everything else. And it's the fear of just doing this and that that will get taken care of that keeps me every time from just getting really small. I guess I'd love to talk about a little bit now my life and and how it looks like, you know, day to day. And in general, my life is unbelievable compared to what I came from. Like I said, I had I had a, a big life, like lots of friends. I was always working. I was always making my own money. I was always just one of those personalities um, that I was completely devastated inside and couldn't stop doing something like binging. And my, you know, when I was a little, little kid, I used to be like, I just really want peace of mind. I mean, like, I don't know what, like, five-year-old asks for peace of mind. It seems a little bit ridiculous. And I was, I really craved that. And I think the food just really coated, like, all that anxiety that I was feeling and that sense of, like, responsibility to be perfect. Um, and I want, you know, talking about what it's like now, it's a magical life that I live. But at any moment, this magical life could go to shreds if I sort of lose my understanding of humility and if I lose the sense of smallness. And I, don't know, I want to explain that a little bit. The moment I think I've got something and I've, I've figured it out, um, it starts to go, it starts to go awry. Like everything starts to fall apart. The moment I think, so the, like, I don't know if you have this experience as well, but like the moment I think that I, that I can perfect something and that will always stay the same, that's the minute problems just start happening around that area. And my experience is that daily I wake up and I do the very best I can. So the first thing I do is I talk to my sponsor when I wake up in the morning and we, and I'm accountable to somebody else. And I guess in, the word accountable is a good thing to talk about a little bit in my daily um, routine. I don't know how how other people use the word commitment, but my sponsor, it's actually like a solemn swear almost, so to speak. So I don't use the word commitment unless it's going to be done no matter what. And it, and we use that word, my sponsor and I use that word all the time. It's like it's, And it's an amazing tool for me. I commit to my food plan sometimes. I commit to, like, different activities that I'm going to do. I commit to certain meetings that I need to show up to. But if I say that I commit to it, no matter what, that gets done. That means, like, if I sit here, I commit, I'm going to buy myself a flower today. If it's 2 in the morning and I realize I didn't buy it yet, I go, I get up, I get in the car, I go to Ralph's, and I get the flower. And that's how her and I work together today. And what it, what it does is to begin little baby commitments is create trust with myself and my higher power. And I find, like, coming into these rooms... Um, I know for myself, there's no trust with myself. My word meant nothing. It meant nothing to myself and it meant nothing to you. If I said to you that I was going to do something, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. If I said I was going to binge today, maybe I, maybe I will, maybe I won't. My word, there was no like sense of trust. 
and my sponsors helped me grow. Uh, we've, we've grown trust for myself. Uh, the humility, which I talked about before, is pretty key. And humility for me is the unknown. So the moment I think I've got something, like I said, that's when trouble starts happening. And today I have a, a very, very, very big life. And the only way that that life can be lived, in my experience, is with God and the sense that I don't know. And the minute I know, it's too much for me to handle. It actually becomes too overwhelming. So um, I work that humility consistently. I'm not trying to pose for people. If I start hoping that you like me, you know, it's over. I'll tell you, are not going to like me. If I try to get skinny, odds are I'm going to get fat. If I try to be the winner at this thing, odds are I'm going to lose. I mean, that's just been my experience. The moment my ego, and I think that I'm bigger than God, and I know more than God, and then just everything starts to fall apart. And so I've worked through the 12 steps, and I have sponsees, and I love them, and they're great. And what sponsees do for me, they slow me down. Um, they force me to listen. Uh, they um, they ask me to look at my own program. They ask me to be accountable to my commitments. Um, they're invaluable. They're just an unbelievable asset to this program to have sponsees. I do suggest, you know, if somebody doesn't have sponsees and they're sort of at that place where they're curious if they should take one on or not, probably start taking one on. Um, giving back is it's a very selfish thing in this program, in my experience. It's the thing that gets you back into the room. Um, I don't think you can go to enough meetings. I, I don't believe, I've heard some people say that they don't want OA to become their life. I don't think it's possible. I think, like, you can, you know, the more meetings, the better. Because it's an hour, first of all. How many meetings are going on in LA in one day? Maybe three, three, four. I mean, three, four is four hours. So how, I was looking at how much time did I spend binging the whole day. And then I look at, like, how much time did, when I was, like, trying to get skinny, how much time did I spend on trying to get the whole day and then, like, you know, if there were more minutes in the day, I would have spent those minutes trying to figure out how to get into the clothing that I wanted to get into. And I don't know really, like, how to describe, like, the beauty of my abstinence day. I, there is, I fear no country's food. I don't fear any restaurant. I'm not afraid of any other body walking by me and how skinny or larger they are, like, like it doesn't exist for me. It's almost like a psychological, spiritual shift happened when I decided to sit down, you know, pull the cotton out of the ears and put it in the mouth kind of thing. When I decided to stop knowing that I know more than everyone else, and I decided to start listening. And I took on sponsors that were, you know, tough. And I didn't, I didn't sort of, we didn't barter. We didn't, like, trade with, you know, the sponsors that I was working with, there weren't deals being made. It was like they said to do something, and then I said, okay, because that's how devastated I was. I mean, I was just constantly crying all the time. I was just, you know, and I couldn't get it. And the sponsors that I was working with and my fellows, thank God, um, at one point they were like, well, you're just, you're just eating kids. So, you know, if, if somebody's struggling and they're trying to get out of the struggle, my experience is stop trying to get out of the struggle. Go to more meetings be of service, talk to your sponsor, but stop trying to figure out how to get out of the struggle. And like I was saying, more, I don't have a fear of like going to places that used to take me down. Like there used to be restaurants that used to completely baffle me. I mean, I would pass them and I couldn't, I couldn't not go in there and buy everything. And now it's like, I don't even want them. I don't even want them. I don't even care. 
we don't have a love-hate relationship, we have no relationship. And that, I think, is the most, the greatest gift that OA gave me. It's an indifference to compulsively overeat, generally. I want to say the general part. Like I said, my program is not perfect. So there are, again, when God trickles somewhere down my list to like number five, seven, when it's like 11 and 15, it's like really serious. But when God's just falling, falling down, and my program is, is sort of like trickling down, that's when I might find myself one morning really wanting to chew on, like to munch on things. And that's just going to always be like my sponsor said, my natural state. It's like a bed and then a bucket of X, Y, or Z. So I'm just going to talk a little bit more and then I'd like to, you know, do some questions because I think it's fun. So my life right now, like I said, always gave me, uh, and, you know, I know I refer a lot to my sponsors because I, again, I needed to, I need to, to be taught. I came from like a world where I didn't know simple, easy does it one day at a time, God's important, like that's not what I came from, God's loving and kind, I didn't know these things, so my sponsor, like that jargon, I'm, I'm taking what I wanted, I'm leaving the rest, I'm taking what my sponsors told me, and um, I have a sponsor that always talks about God has in store for me a life beyond my wildest dreams, and Sometimes when you're talking to sponsors and they just think that they know how bad their life is, and they're just like, you know, I don't know if some people have that experience, but you're just, I call it, their, their teeth are showing, like they're just like, like anything you say to them, they're going to have their answer for why it's not okay and why things are just going to be bad. And that's when I'll talk slower, and that's what my sponsor does, starts talking slower. And there has to come in some kind of gratitude and thankfulness for like what we all have. So I, I feel like, um, when you're battling with somebody else's addiction and their disease and then when they're really, when their teeth are showing, it's almost impossible to give them direction at that moment of like to actually do, you know, they don't, they can't hear God, they can't feel God, they can't see God, they don't, they don't understand, like steps don't even make sense all of a sudden. So it's getting them to like, in, and getting me into like a calmer state where I can breathe and listen and usually gratitude and thankfulness are like, like, it's like also instant medicine. And I feel like that's why meetings are this instant medicine, because you're forced to not talk. It's like you're forced to sit and listen to other people's problems or joys, and you can't just ramble on about what you think about things. And that's my experience. That's what I like to do, is eat and ramble on about what I think about. And I like to sit and think. And I think, and I feel like that's why meetings are such medicine. And then my sponsors, it's shown me in the past you know, two years we've had this real breakthrough in thankfulness and gratitude, and I don't know why, but like the moment she asked me these questions like, do you have a bed? And I'll be like, yes. Is rent paid for? And I'll be like, yeah. And she'll be like, are you hungry? And I'll be like, no. Are you healthy? Yes. I mean, these simple yes-no questions really put life into perspective. And we can get, I can get really caught up in like luxury problems. Luxury problems can actually become so overwhelming that you really feel like they're not luxury problems, that you feel like they're actually life, you know, um, substantial, real life problems, and that's when the teeth start showing with most people. But my sponsor, like, loves to just like click it into place. You know, if you're not hungry, going, you know, starving for food, if you have a place to sleep tonight, and you have a roof over your head, then you're doing, and you're abstinent, there's like the extra boon, you're really doing really, really well. For me, it brings everything, makes everything like really quiet. And it's like, oh, okay, everything really is okay. And then she'll be like, now what do you got for me? And it kind of almost seems like embarrassing to be like, oh, I'm really, really worried about, you know. And, like, oh. 
and then it just like slows everything down, and then I get off the phone with her, and then I'm like, wow, this feels really good, and I, and I do, I feel good, and I don't want to eat anymore, and I don't care about my body, and I just, like, it's just joy everywhere. And she doesn't ask me to do the little quick gratitude things. We don't do that. I don't, I don't know what everyone else is. We don't do the, like, I'm grateful for, I'm like, I'm just grateful for this, 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 and this. She asks me to sit and slowly take in what I have. She asks me to really, that's, when she gives me that direction in the morning, I really do it. I sit and I appreciate. So right now, this beautiful California day, it's exquisite in California the past four days. I mean, the rest of the world, I don't know what kind of weather they're experiencing. Something's going on. I mean, it's enormous. The quiet. I have my bed. I have a vehicle to get places. I mean, and I sit and I really appreciate it. Um, and that has been the most incredible guide to my continual recovery. And I don't know if I'm going to be abstinent tonight because I can't get or maintain my abstinence. I am beyond grateful that I am right now. I love being abstinent. I really don't like being full. I don't like overeating. I don't like feeling bad about myself. It feels so good to love myself. Um, and then I get to love other people more. So I'm so grateful to be able to speak here today. Thank you, Atusa. And I really appreciate having OA in my life. Thank you. And then do we get to do questions? A little few questions? Okay, I'd rather stop talking so much. Yes? Um, thank you for your share very much. Um, I was just curious to know, how do you handle... Um, situations where you, you practice gratitude for all that you do have and at the same time experience um, negative emotions like loss or, you know, because those, those still do occur. So how do you, how do you handle that? They absolutely occur. Yeah. Um, what's your name first? I mean, oh, I'm sorry, I'm John. John, John asked, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, John asked, how do I handle um, after gratitude and thankfulness is practiced um, when life sort of throws me some grief or loss or sadness, how do I cope with that is that right mm -hmm. okay um absolutely and i'm happy you asked that because in no way do i want to sort of give off the impression that uh there isn't healthy fear you know like an, a normal anxiety like we're human beings and grief and loss and all those experiences i've experienced in them and and um my my job is to do my job and then god does god's job so my we always talk about faith versus fear so there's a healthy fear that first comes up. There's a healthy sense of loss. There's a healthy sense of anxiety, grief, sadness, always. And to skip that step, in my experience, is, is again, you're going, I'm going back to ego. If, I, if, if something sad happens to me, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm really fine. I'm fine. I'm great. I'm working for him, and I'm great. I mean, then I'm completely acting like I'm in control and like I've figured it out again and, and that I'm some kind of you know superhuman and I'm skipping the step of powerlessness and compassion for me being a human being so first of all it's acceptance that I'm sad and I think that for me already answered the question like in my own experience when I'm sad it's first accepting that I'm sad and that it's okay and if I'm really really upset and I'm anxiety ridden first accepting that I'm anxiety ridden and I'm upset and for some reason, that, as a beginning step, already starts to open up to God. But it's when I can't even accept that this is happening, and I keep trying to fight it, just like the abstinence, just like trying to get abstinence, and then I usually it's a losing battle, and I end up stuck in that place for a long, long, long time. I used to experience, like, length, like I used to have depression back in earlier abstinence and before abstinence. I used to have incredible bouts of sadness, a lot of dark times. 
Um, I haven't been depressed in in, in years, actually. Like uh, depression, you know, um, years it's been because I'll I'll acknowledge it and I'll be like, yeah, I'm I'm really sad. I'm really 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 scared right now. Um, this really hurts. I'm really angry. You know, I deal with it with my sponsor. I'm accountable, and then I take the next action. Gratitude, thankfulness, stuff like that. Service. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Um, Brittany, and I'm also a Hi, Brittany. Um, Thank you so much. Um, I remember my first meeting a year and a half ago. You spoke, and I was like, I want what she has. And every time I see you, it's a joy. I'm so excited when I thought you could be coming in here. But um, wondering about your kind of spiritual rituals or what you do to keep your connection with the higher power and how you find it. You spoke a little bit about it. Yeah, I'm, I would say that besides the basics of you know, um, meditation, um, morning prayers, morning writing, I, my spiritual practice is that I have conversations with God all day long, and I don't just kind of do that, but I really do. I have, like, in my head, I don't have conversations with myself today. Um, I have conversations with God. So I'm having, I'm talking it out with God consistently. It's not like, and my relationship with my higher power is very, very personal and very private. And and it's not um, like God's this, this big thing in the sky for me. It's this very close. I mean, I talk when I'm angry. I talk to God. That's my spiritual practice. Is that God is like brought down from some faraway land and is like right here. And I say like I need this or I know you're with me or and I'm having that conversation all the time. And if I can't hear my higher power, then I pull over and shut the radio. You know, I pull out the car over and I sit and I stop. And I find sometimes this might sound like the littlest thing, the the smallest thing like stopping is sometimes the, most, the greatest spiritual experience of the day. It's just stopping. Sometimes the sponsee or myself is if you're eating or you're crying or you're screaming or you're like this, um, just pausing. Like, you know, even telling sponsee, you can pick that up right after we pause, but can you just, just stop? Sometimes that is the biggest um, moment of recovery in the day because it's the stopping that sort of gets you to hear God because you can't hear God if you're too busy running it yourself doing it your way so I, I stop and I said I think I mentioned before I slow slow myself down I just slow down that's why speaking to sponsors is so exciting because they they're usually talking double time even faster than me and so I start talking really slow and, that, and then I can hear God more and then I can feel what's the next right action how do I how can I be more loving and more tolerant of myself and then of other people so um, thank you so much thank you